Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, we're diving back into the world of ninja, the sport of ninja. Of course, we're going to talk about American Ninja Warrior. We're going to talk about the history of the sport. We're going to talk about the future of the sport. A lot of really exciting things coming up. Potentially the Olympics. Uh, potentially a you know a sporting league for ninja. You know, just like the NBA and NFL and all these things, we may eventually see ninja at uh, at the league level so i i spoke with mary layton uh the commentator ninja that's what she's known as that's what she was on american ninja warrior as commentating actually her own run she commentates in a lot of different ninja competitions but she was a great person to speak with just kind of deeper into ninja of course we talked to cassie dirks a few weeks ago about her experience on american ninja warrior her experience in as a cat cafe worker and as a family who owns that cat cafe definitely recommend checking that one out too but we're going to dive a lot deeper this week into the world of ninja and exactly what the the sport is and and where it's going it was a very fascinating conversation really really enjoyed speaking with with mary and uh, i think you're going to enjoy this whether you're a big fan of American Ninja Warrior, the show, whether you're a fan of the sport of Ninja, whether you've never even heard of it, it's just fascinating to see a sport that's kind of came to the United States less than 20 years ago and where it's uh, where it's gotten to. And, and like I, I just mentioned, eventually, hopefully it's going to get to the Olympics. So it's, it's a fascinating thing just to kind of hear the passion behind a lot of people who are, are kind of in in the sport in its infancy. Mary had so many cool things to talk about when it comes to her own experience on the show, on the American Ninja Warrior show, the NBC show. Uh, she had a lot of interesting things to say about where she hopes the sport goes and just the need for, I guess, some more standards in the sport. We'll talk all about that. She's also going to talk about one of her other passions, which is talking about um, women's issues in sports and, and the need for um, some changes in, in sports as a whole, but then also specifically in Ninja. She's going to talk about, um, you know, her, I, I guess the paper that she wrote in her master's work when it comes to women's equality as a whole. It was a, a very fascinating thing to, to hear about that and uh, and just hear her perspective on, on all of that too. That's towards the end. Most of this conversation, we're going to talk a lot about Ninja, tell you everything that you ever needed to know, I think. Um, I wanted to uh, put a nice little bow on the, the topic of Ninja. We talked a lot with Cassie about her individual um you know her individual experience but i didn't really give you too much about ninja so i think mary does that with tying in a lot of really fascinating parts to it as well so without further ado here is the commentator ninja mary layton i'm here today with mary Layton. mary how are you i am fantastic how are you i'm good i really appreciate you joining me thanks so much well, thank you for having me on the Not in a Huff podcast. I'm yeah. wicked excited. <laughs> good. Well, yeah. Um, introduce yourself if you would. 
All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Mary Layton. I am an American Ninja Warrior. I just appeared on season 14 of American Ninja Warrior. I am also, um, I would call myself a ninja advocate and commentator. Um, I love to commentate at ninja competitions and not only make it a fun experience for the viewers, um, for the athletes going back to, you know, watch themselves afterwards. But I also like to talk about the important issues that are coming up in ninja, um, just current events, uh, things that we need to do to progress the sport forward. And I do that via my Instagram and also my YouTube channel. I like it. Yeah. So let's kind of start at the basics with, with Ninja. Tell people exactly what that is. People are listening. Like I have no idea what Ninja is. I don't know what American Ninja Warrior is. I don't know any of this. Let's just start at uh, what Ninja is. All right. So what is Ninja? So it's not martial arts as a lot of you might think. We're not dressed up in black outfits and like popping out of corners. We're not like, you know, totally silent. Uh, most of us talk. I know it's so. I'm not, I, I, never mind. This is the wrong interview. No, <laughs> it's it's really funny. I've actually had a couple of people. Um, I was like, yeah, I, I was on American Ninja Warrior, and they were like, oh my god, you're a ninja. <laughs> and then they were like, I have this great book about this Russian agent that fell in love with a, a martial artist, and I was like, not not that type of ninja. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. Um, so the show American Ninja Warrior is based off of Sasuke. Um, which is also a show um, from Japan. It's, it's basically the original Ninja Warrior. And so if you think of obstacle racing, some of you might be familiar or more familiar with like Spartan racing. It's those sorts of obstacles, but a lot more difficult, a lot more crazy. And there's no running involved, which is one of my favorite things about it. So, <laughs> I gotcha. So you, you mentioned that it's kind of based off of a, of a Japanese activity how long has has it been in the united states um so it's been in the united states for about 14 years um mm-hmm. this is season 14 of american ninja warrior and american ninja warrior was really kind of the first introduction of the sport mm-hmm. to the usa um there weren't really any ninja gyms prior to i'm gonna say our oldest gyms are probably about 10 years old um so it's a relatively new sport yeah that is that's kind of surprising too because i feel like a lot of times with TV shows, they, you know, they kind of capitalize on something that's already really popular and that's how they gain their, their following. But if they are almost what created the popularity in the United States, that's a, it's a totally different model than a lot of things. Yeah. It really is an interesting, an interesting dichotomy, I guess you could say. So the show itself started, you know, 14 years ago, we didn't really have competitive leagues until seven years ago. So the first league really that, that got together was um, the NNL, National Ninja League. They're now the WNL and World Ninja League. Uh, they did a name change since they've expanded to international uh, competitions, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're only starting season eight. So really, the gyms got started first. A lot of them kind of branching off of like gymnastics gyms or parkour gyms. It's really just grown from there with the, you know, advent of all of these leagues, you know, kids are getting super into it because they're watching the show and they're realizing, Hey, there's a place I can train and do this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it's all blossomed from this little grassroots thing into uh, into more of a sport. And you kind of alluded to it earlier in the introduction, but you have a YouTube channel, you're, you kind of nicknamed the commentator ninja. How did, how did that nickname come about? Okay. So the commentator ninja, which I totally should have said in my introduction. I, I don't know why I forgot, but anyway, uh, I think anyways. you, might have, I think you, <laughs> I think I you mentioned it? commentator. I, maybe. I don't okay. Know. You're going <laughs> anyway, to now though. My name is Mary Layton and I'm the commentator ninja. That's how there I usually you know. start my YouTube <laughs> episodes. Um, so yeah, commentating. So 
This all happened um, pretty much when I first started working at a ninja gym. Um, I work part-time as a competitive ninja team coach, and I help out with competitions. Um, I'm pretty involved in, in the competition prep and execution at my gym. But when I first got started, I showed up for like a four-hour shift, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And somebody handed me the camera. They're like, you're doing the live stream. And so the live stream, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's literally just a Facebook live and family members can tune in and watch. Um, the live stream became like really um, important during like the pandemic when we couldn't have like a lot of spectators in for competitions and things like that. So yeah, the live stream just like follows the athletes around so that everyone can see what's going on. You know, you might have like a question or two about like the time limit or rules on an obstacle. But as I was, you know, walking around, I was like, this is so boring. Like, this is just so boring just following these people around with a camera. And I had been competing for about two and a half years already at that point. So I knew a lot of the athletes that were at our gym competing. So I just kind of started talking about them. I just started saying, you know, hey, um, at this person's last competition, here's how they did. Here's how we can expect them to do here on the course. Here's a really cool story. Uh, this person's coming back from an injury. Like we're super proud of them for pushing through it and, and taking that time to recover. And people really liked it. And they started to ask at competitions, Hey, is Mary going to commentate? And as I started doing it more and more, I started being able to do it at other competitions, not just at my gym. And I was actually um, given the opportunity to commentate at um, National Ninja League Worlds, which is a really big competition. And um, yeah, that really was when I kind of decided, you know what, I don't have a ninja nickname. Because when you think about a ninja nickname, it usually has something to do with like how you're going to audition for the show. And I was like, you know, I don't want something that's not like true about me all the time. Like I really want it to be something genuine and commentating. I was like, that's me. Like, that's what I love to do. Like if I never competed again, but I got to keep commentating and keep like building up a community, I would a hundred percent do that. And I actually was kind of faced with that decision, oddly enough, um, going into the world championships. So I was qualified to compete at worlds, um, in 2021. But I had to go through what's called atlas orthogonal adjustments. And it's basically a chiropractic adjustment um, for the top vertebrae at the top of your spine. Mm. And with that, it's safe to move around. It's, it's not dangerous to keep training. But in the beginning stages of just getting the adjustment, your body has to realign and readjust. And you can't really do any like super explosive or aggressive movements. And when I first did this, it's not really... I wouldn't call it an experimental treatment, but it's not a super widely known treatment. And it really is dependent on the person that's getting it, how long recovery is going to take. So my chiropractor had said, like, you might never be able to do ninja again. And I was obviously devastated. I love this sport so much. I love competing. It's super fun. But I kind of had that conversation with myself. I was like, okay, you know, if I can only coach, if I can only commentate, those are things that are really important to me. And so I would be okay with that. And so it really allowed me to like put all of my energy into that one experience at worlds without kind of being like, Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not competing. I'm all upset, you know? Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you, you've already, I would, before you even mentioned that, that was kind of spinning in my mind that you doing this now has increased your longevity by, you know, indefinitely really Yeah. when it comes to the ninja world, just because obviously you can talk until Probably until death. You know, most people talk yeah. until the <laughs> until the end. So I feel like you know, you a lot of people maybe are limited up until you know their their body doesn't allow them to. You're going to be able yeah. to stay in this as long as you want. 
So I guess, mm-hmm. I guess the natural question and maybe the question that you won't want to necessarily answer is you kind of have a totally different world when it comes to this American Ninja Warrior 2. If you're looking at some of the, the commentator side of things, do you ever listen to it and like, man, I could do a much better <laughs> job of this than these, these people are doing? So um, I did say that was actually a question that um, somebody asked me in my mm. A&W interview. Oh, um, they were like, you know, how do you think you like stack up against like Matt and Akbar? And I was just like, well, their puns are really good. The Akbar is really high. Mm. But, um, but anyways, no, I think, you know, the value of Matt and Akbar is just that they really are good storytellers. Like, I mean, obviously you have like the stories that kind of like play beforehand and you get that package with each athlete. Um, but I've always found them to be really uplifting and really encouraging. And that actually is kind of difficult sometimes. Like you watch competitor after competitor after competitor, and it's hard to continue to say positive things sometimes, like especially super long competitions. I mean, the filming days on American Ninja Warrior, like we got there at about 8 a.m. Or I think we left the hotel at 8 a.m. We got to the arena at like probably, you know, maybe by nine o'clock or so. And you know, we compete all day. Like they're in their suits, in the booth all day long for probably 12 plus hours, just watching competitor after competitor go through the course. And, uh, you know, they probably have an idea of who's going to get shown, but you never really know what the producers are going to do. So they have to be on for like such an incredible length of time. So as someone who's done like multi-day, like 12, 14 hour competitions, like I completely respect that. And I really do admire their ability to just like continue to stay positive and, you know, really talking about the positive things that the athletes have accomplished and are doing on the course. Well, for sure. And I feel like probably you're talking about having to, you know, do the storytelling given that Mm -hmm. this is, given that this is a show, I mean, I'm sure there's two components to it where you've Mm got to be, you've got to be a good athlete, but you've also got to have a, probably a story to tell, or maybe it's not Mm going to work out for you. Absolutely. I think, you know, one thing that a lot of ninjas go through is the the process. It's almost like a rite of passage in ninja is, is submitting to get on the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need a two to three minute video where, you know, you need to show your athleticism, but more so you need to show like your personality or tell your story. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of ninjas joke, like, I don't have a sob story. I'm never going to get on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely like tried that angle. Like when you're trying to get on the show, you, you kind of, you try anything, right? So you know, I talked about my grandmother passing away one year. I talked about um, just like overcoming, you know, just like training barriers and things like that. And the one thing that got me on the show, though, was becoming the commentator ninja. And I actually challenged Matt and Akbar. I was like, Matt and Akbar, if I get up the warped wall, you've got to let me commentate somebody's run. And so I think that having that character, kind of having that persona was what made the story producers like, hey, we can do something with that something that's different than what we've done before. And they actually had me commentate my run on the show. And it was, mm. it was a cute, fun little 30 second thing, but it was, it was something different. So. So we're kind of talking about the community. You're talking about knowing a lot mm-hmm. of them, how close knit is the, the ninja community? Do you find it to be a, a pretty, you know, supportive community that's kind of mm-hmm. all together and a lot of people know each other. Is it, you know, not mm-hmm. that way or how, how does, how's the community stack up? Yeah. So the community has definitely evolved as the sport has become more competitive, but I think especially in like the adult competitive division and especially leading up to going on the show, it really is a community. You know, when I go to a gym, I usually know someone, the, either the gym owner or like people who are training there, 
I can ask almost anyone for help on techniques or, you know, pointers doing an obstacle. And when we're at competitions, like we cheer each other on, like, that's one thing that I really value about competition is that, you know, I can go out on the course and if I fail something, the next thing I'm doing is talking to the next competitor and being like, Hey, here's why I messed up this. Like, make sure that you're, you don't mess this up. Like here's the beta, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's really something that's, that's super cool. And, you know, especially in the new England region, you know, Ninja has been around for about, I'd say about 10 years. And so a lot of the athletes, we've been doing this for a while together. And so we know each other's stories. We like know each other's lives and it just really creates a super strong camaraderie for everything that it is. There are some very competitive competitions where there's a lot of prize money on the line. You have some really high level athletes that are competing and you might not see that beta sharing as much. You might not see people as engaged as, as how other people are doing. But I think in the kid divisions, um, we're definitely, I know all of us coaches are really trying to keep that kind of, kind of guard that community aspect, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I train and when I coach, um, me and my coaching partner, we're always telling the kids like, Hey, like, it doesn't matter if at a team competition, the other team is doing better or they fail. Like we're cheering for them regardless. Like, yeah, obviously it's great if our gym wins a competition, but what matters more to us is that you're embodying the spirit of the community. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's awesome. And I want you to talk a little bit more about just in, in thinking about people becoming professional at this type of thing, where is the, I guess, the monetization of this? Is, is it people just going in these competitions and trying to, to win the prize money? Are people getting sponsored? Or how are people, how are people making money doing this? Yeah, there's absolutely money to be made. If, if I could give you like the landscape of the sport of ninja right now, there's a lot of people that are doing things to try to monetize the sport. Um, but a lot of that is coming more so from like the accessories to the sport, like ninja builds or ninja gyms or yeah. coaching, coaching services, or, you know, just trying to, you know, create a name for themselves. Like a lot of ninjas will go and do like speaking engagements or like clinics and things like that. So if you're a high level ninja with a lot of notoriety, usually obtained from doing the show, I'm not really aware of how much these athletes are getting paid. Um, But, you know, that is a way to kind of sustain yourself with going and doing speaking engagements and things like that. That's not being an, I guess that you are technically a paid athlete at that point. As far as being purely an athlete and making money in the sport, you would really need to be in the top 1% and you would need to also travel to every competition. So right now, that's kind of what the sport is trying to figure out. Um, Ninja Sport Network, they are kind of the second iteration of a league model that was trying to um, bring Ninja into kind of the, I guess, the 21st century, so to speak, um, as far as making money at these competitions. But the problem with Ninja right now is that it's still proving itself as a sport. And so when it comes to getting sponsors, which is really how any athlete is going to be able to do this full time is, is being a sponsored athlete, we still have to prove ourselves. Like we still... The only platform that Ninja really has right now is American Ninja Warrior. And that's its own thing that's, you know, meant to boost ratings on NBC. So we don't have our own thing yet, but we might have our own thing soon. Please ask me about the Olympics and Ninja. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to ask you about that, but that's going to be a couple questions from now. Okay. 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 What right, I, I'll wait till then. Okay. What I want to ask you too, because uh, I'm going to ask you in a minute about your experience on, on the show. Uh, yeah. But before that, just in, you know, you're talking about knowing and, and learning from failures and from, from success. I want to mm-hmm. ask you, and I ask you this question, not for you to point out, you know, your, your failures, but to, for you to kind of tell us 
obstacles because people don't necessarily even probably know some of the things that you do. Talk mm-hmm. about some of the obstacles within Ninja that you're that you're really good at and ones that maybe you're not so good. Awesome. Yeah. So one thing I'm really good at is committing. Um, and that might not, that's not an obstacle. It's just a mental skill. Uh, cause a lot of times obstacles are kind of scary. Um, you, you look at some of these things and you're like, this is so sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> what am I about to put my body through? Uh-huh. I could die. Like I always telling my kids at the gym, I'm like, guys, just don't die. Like they'll ask me to do some of the craziest, most insane things. They're like, coach Mary, is this okay? And I'm like, I just don't die. As long as you don't die, it's fine. But yeah, so commitment is, is definitely something that when people ask me like, oh, what's your ninja strength? That's it. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, it doesn't matter if you have the strength or the skill to do an obstacle. If you don't commit to it, you're not going to get it. Um, so that's definitely a strength of mine. Um, I'm pretty good at balance, pretty good at agility. And as far as upper body stuff goes, um, that's like kind of the area that I always will need to work on. Um, and you can always be building more strength. You can always do that. So, um, some upper body obstacles would be like the salmon ladder. I'm actually not terrible at that. I'm, I'm pretty solid at that one. Um, and warped wall is my absolute favorite. I think like in talking about like failure and in talking about like figuring things out, you know, it's so much trial and error. Um, and it's a lot of body awareness too. Um, that's something that's huge in ninjas. And that's why a lot of gymnasts, when they come into ninja, they're, they're pretty good. They pick up really quickly because they're already aware of how to move their body. They're already aware of their body in space. Um, so for me, wing nuts is an obstacle that I, I kind of struggle with. It's a different motion. It's not a typical forwards lache for listeners who don't know what a lache is. It's essentially when you generate a swing hanging from a bar and then you release your body from the bar and fly to something in front of you, usually another bar or a different hold or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so wing nuts are a lache, but they're done sideways. And that has been something that I've failed at a lot and really kind of had to figure out this new way of moving my body to, to really get the obstacle down. Yeah. Tell mm-hmm. us about your experience on, on the show. Obviously that's kind of, at least right now, kind of the pinnacle of, of Ninja, mm-hmm. I would assume. So how did you get on the show? What was it like your experience and, and all that jazz? Oh, awesome. So um, this year I felt pretty good about my submission video. I was like, okay, I have this, like, you know, this character of the commentator Ninja Um, I hesitate to call it a character because it really is just kind of like, it's me. Like, that's who I am. That's what I do. But in the eyes of a story producer, this character, the commentator Ninja. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of had a feeling. So ninjas all talk about getting the call, right? So it's this big, exciting moment when you see a Los Angeles number on your phone and it starts with 818 and you're like, oh my God, this is it. This is my shot. Um, I kind of had a feeling that if I was going to get the call, like I kind of knew I was going to get it this year. And I was like, if I'm going to get the call, it's going to be with my family and they're going to film it. And so went to hang out with my family. I like, you know, got some brunch with my sister. We walked around, took some pictures, you know, and then we were all just hanging out and we were supposed to be building this desk for my mom. And then somehow we all just ended up in the living room. And my sister kept asking me to send her the pictures that I took. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And somehow they got me to not have my phone on silent. I'm not sure how, Um, but my phone started ringing. And I remember thinking, huh, this might be it. So I walk over and I pick up my phone and it's a Los Angeles number. And I'm like, holy crap, it's actually, this is actually the moment. Oh my God. And I turn around and I say hello. And like, my family's all filming me. 
Um, and then I talked to Mike, who was my story producer. And I remember like, I was so excited after I got off the phone, I just said, what, what, what just over and over again, all afternoon. I was like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like I'm actually going to be on the show after four years of submitting, like five years of training. Oh my gosh. So that was super exciting. I like smacked my brother's phone out of his hand because he like got it like up in my face. And I was like, no, I'm not, I can't. (laughs) So, um, Leading up to the show, like I, I mentioned this earlier, a lot of me just trained together. Um, so when you finally get there, um, you have to go through a lot of COVID tests. Uh, they make sure that everybody is healthy um, and, you know, uh, ready to be there without any worry about that, um, which I really appreciated. And so then they have you do B-roll and interviews. And so that's where you get to like stand on this big rotating thing and they take like shots of you flexing and looking tough and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you get to be interviewed. Um, where they'll ask you things that they would put in kind of your story package. So a couple of the things that I did in my interview actually showed up in what they showed. It was me commentating my run. So then you have, you know, the the rest of that day. um, And then the next day you compete. And so we got on the bus. I was 24th in the run order, which I was really excited about because you don't want to be super last. Like there's about 80 people competing that day. So you don't want to be like past like 30 because then you're just waiting forever to do your run and you get tired and cranky and all that stuff. Um, but 24 was perfect. I was like, this is good. This is enough time to like watch some people go through the course, figure out my plan. Um, so when I got up to the stage, I felt pretty confident. Um, I kind of knew I, I went out on the second obstacle, uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the show yet, but I kind of knew the second obstacle was going to be hard for me. And, but I was really like confident that I could complete the first obstacle, which as a rookie, honestly, if you get through the first obstacle, you don't fail. Like that is kind of a huge accomplishment. And I had a bet with my kids at the gym that if I failed the first obstacle, I'd have to do 50 laps. So I was like really extra motivated to not fail the first obstacle. Um, but you know, one thing that definitely benefited me being, you know, before going into the show is that I do compete pretty regularly. And so I know that when I look at a course, and I look at the obstacles, I'm able to tell if I'm physically capable of doing something. And once I kind of have that sense that I'm physically capable of it, um, I don't tend to get super nervous. Um, you know, obviously it was the show. Like that was kind of the question in my mind is like, okay, I know I compete well, but like, it's the show. Like, what is that going to do to my psyche when I get there? Um, and there were definitely moments that I like don't remember from my run, just like little pockets here or there where I'm just like, not really sure how I got on top of that box or like, I'm not really sure how I got to the third monkey bar run. Um, but I went to the starting line and you're supposed to do like a little introduction. So I had this fake microphone that I bought at Walmart that I was going to like do some tricks on because, you know, I'm the commentator. I'm like, you know, and um, the stage manager comes over and he's like, oh, this is your prop. And I said, yeah, it's my prop. So he takes it, he goes up on stage and he's like waving it around. And I'm like, oh, he's checking for feedback. And I was like, you're not going to get any feedback. That's like a, <laughs> it's like an America's Got Talent microphone that I bought at Walmart and like colored with Sharpie. Also turned it on on the plane. So the battery is totally dead. I was like, there's not going to be any feedback there. Then he gets a real microphone and he starts talking into it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, am I going to am I gonna need to talk? Like, are they going to let me talk? Like, act, like, will my voice be heard in the stadium? And I hear him start talking and I can hear his voice in the stadium. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm going to talk. And so he comes down, he hands me the hot mic. And I'm like, wait, do I talk into this? Like, you know, like an idiot, here's a microphone. What else are you going to do besides talking to it? Right. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, work the crowd. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and then I had 10 seconds 
And then they sent me up. And so I like, I said a few things. They ended up showing like a couple of them um, on the show. But yeah, I just had to kind of ad lib it. And I like, I did okay. I'm kind of used to being in those environments. But then I had planned to drop the mic, like my fake one, obviously. Mm. Because I was like, oh yeah, I'm dropping the mic on the course, right? But then I'm like, this is a live mic. And they didn't show this on the show, but I'm literally standing there and I like, I'm saying to the audience, like, all right, I was going to drop the mic, but this is an actual mic. And I don't think the sound guys would like that very much. Uh, what do I do? So that was how it got started. Um, yeah. Then I saw my family. I did my course run. Um, I fell in the water and I finally realized I'd always been skeptical of the ninjas who did two obstacles and like came up out of the water and they're like, Oh my God, that was so fun. But when, when it happened, I was like, I get it. Like that literally was so fun. Like, obviously you want to hit a buzzer. Like you want to have more time on the course, but just the experience, the honor of being there. Um, it really is fun no matter how many obstacles you do. And, um, yeah, like if you just keep the right attitude about it, it can be a good experience if you fail the first or like hit a buzzer and go all the way to Vegas. So well, that's awesome. So does it, does it make you want more of that? Or are you like been there, done that, and you don't want to be on the show again? Oh, I definitely want to be on the show again. Um, I think that, you know, being on the show this season, it really kind of helped me realize like, you know, you can train well for the show without doing super sketchy obstacles. So for me, I kind of always had this question about, you know, I have this adjustment in my neck and I'm at the point where I can do more aggressive things. I can fall and it's not going to be a concern, but in the back of your mind, you're just kind of like this sport's so rough on your body. Like how long do you want to keep doing the super sketchy things you need to do to stay competitive in like the local leagues and things like that. But training for the show, you can be really good on the show without training super competitively for the local leagues. So being able to really see how that played out, it did make me more motivated to continue training um, for the show. I mean, I was probably going to keep training anyway, because I just, I love Ninja and I love doing obstacles, whether I'm trying to be competitive or not. Um, but another thing too, is just that, you know, being on the show offers you a platform, right? The more people recognize you, the more they listen to what you have to say. And, you know, as the commentator Ninja, I have a lot of things to say about the sport and about the direction of it. And, some really important topics that um, really need to be addressed in order for the sport to grow. And so there's kind of two reasons why I'm wanting to do that again. It's, you know, for the fun of it, for my own personal satisfaction, but also, you know, to continue to be able to build the commentator ninja brand and, and really use it to make a difference in the sport. Yeah, no, I, I know some of those questions. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you that in a moment. I want to mm -hmm. uh, want to kind of connect uh, an obvious thing in your story about becoming uh, or getting on the show, I assume did they did they call your family ahead of time because it sounded like they already <laughs> knew everything. You didn't really say that, but I assume they were told beforehand. Yeah, they texted my sister, and so my sister actually knew for a couple of days before they called me that I was going to be on the show. Um, so yeah, she she knew way ahead of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell us um, about, I guess, the the road to Ninja getting in the Olympics. You wanted to talk about that a minute ago. Oh, Let's I Let's talk do. about it. Okay, so I need to clarify a few things. And, you know, right now, there's this talk about a Ninja Warrior or an obstacle course being in the 2028 Olympics as part of the modern pentathlon. So that is going to be obstacle course racing specific. Um, so it is a 100 meter obstacle course race 
that's going to be replacing the equestrian discipline in modern pentathlon. But those obstacles are going to be more similar to obstacle course racing obstacles. So think more Spartan racing, Tough Mudder, um, those sorts of things. Um, not not ninja obstacles. A lot of people have seen the modern pentathlon thing and the communication around it hasn't been super clear. And especially the communication from world obstacle, which is kind of the overarching organization that's really made moves to getting obstacle course racing in the Olympics. Um, so the communication hasn't been super clear, but if you dig deep enough, you can find, okay, modern pentathlon, that's obstacle course racing. And now there's the start of a Ninja world cup series. And so the Ninja World Cup series, it's going to be starting the first um, event is going to be in the Philippines and the next one will be in the United States. And from that, you will have um, athletes that qualify to compete in the world championship, which will be in the uh, November of 2023. And then you'll also have trials for Team USA. What's really exciting about that is that there is few, if not no sports whatsoever that have ever been awarded Team USA status prior to being in any kind of international games or in the Olympics. And so that's huge. Like Ninja really is kind of a boon for the Olympics because um, what they're trying to do is do like a hundred meter sprint through obstacles, which if you've ever watched Ninja versus Ninja or tuned into like the Wolfpack Ninja Tour competitions, those are really exciting to watch. Um, so that's kind of what they're going for. They're going for that wow factor. They're going for that super fast, really exciting race between two athletes for the gold medal. Um, and Ninja also has a really strong reach with like kids. And so that's, those are two things that, you know, when the Olympic committee is considering new sports to add to the Olympic program, they want to see that it has a reach with kids. They want to have something that's going to bring in viewers. I mean, just as much as American Ninja Warrior is a show, the Olympics are a show, right? They're televised, right? And so people being interested and engaged is an important thing. So that's something that works really well for Ninja. The uphill battle that Ninja is going to have is just gaining that multi-country participation. If every country was as developed as the United States was in where their Ninja programs were, you'd have absolutely no problem. But as of right now, um, Ultimate Ninja Athlete Association is a league that does international competitions. They only have about 17 countries that have competitions um, and National Ninja League or World Ninja League. Um, I think they're only in about 14 countries. So, and there's overlap between those two. So I think that the Team USA thing will probably continue for a couple of years. Um, they do have some sponsors um, that are going to be, uh, you know, sponsoring the, the events and things like that. So that is getting more towards like kind of what we talked about earlier about how can you make money as a sport? Um, the athletes that will be on team USA will be sponsored to go to the world cup finals, which are going to be in the Philippines. So it's like a step in the right direction. Um, I think that my, my question is, can these events be sustained and can you get enough country participation that you could at some point go to the Olympic committee and be like, Hey, we have all these countries involved and we have this super exciting event. Like, let's get some international games going. Like let's get into the Olympics. So overall, it's still really exciting that these changes are happening. Still a bit of an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand that. Um, so you're, I guess if you're providing your commentary on it, how, uh, w- when do you think that we'll see it? And I just want to throw in, I guess, one little thing. I mean, obviously you need, you need competition. You need enough people out there to, to actually make it worthwhile, but there's mm-hmm. plenty of, sports in the Olympics that doesn't have 
huge, huge country participation. I mean, for instance, I spoke to an Olympic bobsledder. That's what I was looking up a minute ago. There's only 22, mm-hmm. con- only 22 countries that have any kind of bobsledding program. So it's not a, like a huge amount. So I feel like if you could get more than a dozen, then you'll probably have a, a fair shot. Mm-hmm. So not knowing like in depth, how like the politics of like getting the sport in the Olympics works, I'm sure there's probably exceptions. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I would say ninja is probably one of your number one sports that could get an exception based on just like how exciting it is and how, you know, how many viewers it could probably generate. So we might be good. We might be good on that. That's actually really exciting to think about. Um, so what was, what was the other part of the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you had to provide your own insight, when, what, mm. what, what year do you think it'll be? And I assume it, I mean, I, I don't want to make assumption, but I assume you think it would be a, a summer game or would it be a winter game? Mm-hmm. So it would definitely be summer games. Um, it's really, really fits more in with the summer sport um, vibe, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so to get into the Olympics, you have to be um, submitted seven years prior to the games that you would be considered for. Yeah. Um, so 2032 is probably the earliest that we would be able to see Ninja become a part of the Olympics. Um, but prior to that, we could definitely get um, installment in, you know, like they sometimes do exhibitions at the Olympic games. So maybe 2028, that's when, you know, obstacle course racing is being involved. Um, you might see Ninja as like a, um, as like an exhibition match or something like that, which would be really cool. No, that would be cool. You mentioned in, in your email to me that there's Ninja kind of suffers from a a lack of, of standardization. So do you think that this quest to be become part of the Olympics, is going to help with that? Do you think that they're, they're going to standardize it more just so they can, you know, pre- present a, a product that they, the Olympics knows what's, what's going to happen? Or do mm-hmm. you think everyone's working in different directions and there's not really necessarily a, a singular focus to make that happen? Yeah. I kind of mentioned this on um, one of my episodes about this on my, my channel, my YouTube channel. Um, there's a lot of different things going on in Ninja right now. And there's certainly not only speed courses in Ninja, um, there's endurance courses, there's hybrid courses where a lot of different disciplines are, are applied. So I think as excited as I am about this happening, I think what I'd also really like to see is just a lot of really strong community involvement to make sure that this Ninja that we're crafting to put into the Olympics really truly is the spirit of Ninja. Because when you think about standardization, right? When you walk into a gymnastics gym, you start training for the Olympics. You have level one, level two, level three, level four. All of those levels progress you up to the point where you could be an Olympic athlete, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, some gymnasts stop at level five, some go to all the way to level 10 and don't have an Olympic dream, but they, you know, are very skilled athletes. There's not really that in Ninja right now because there's not a standard. Um, you go to any competition and this is one thing that I think a lot of ninjas love is the creativity of the sport. You have no idea what you're going to compete on. And, you know, there's movements that you can train, right? So a lache, if you can't lache, learn how to lache. It's like a, it's like a ninja skill, you know, balance is a ninja skill. Um, you know, being able to do agility is, is a ninja skill, but how those skills are going to be implemented on a course, it's not really, it's not really known. Right. And So I think, you know, over the next years, you know, we have till 2032, right, to really define this. I think that what's going to need to happen is just we make sure that 
if this works, you know, if we continue to have these events and we start implementing endurance courses as well, um, that it's, it's in the spirit of the sport. Um, as far as work and standardization, you know, there are some gyms that are starting to kind of create level systems. Um, they call it like a band system and basically, you know, alluding to martial arts, which I think is hilarious. Um, you can test for like a yellow band, a green band, and that has broken down like essential ninja skills into, you know, quad steps are a certain distance apart, or you're able to lache a certain distance. So that's really a step in the right direction. Um, standardization is definitely very new and it's definitely going to take a lot of work from gym owners and, you know, head coaches to really kind of implement because a lot of gyms just kind of do their own thing. Um, and they're all making money, right? You're making money off your kids' classes. You're making money off of birthday parties. You don't really make a lot of money off of competitive teams. Um, and so that's not usually the focus as to where gyms put their energy. But if we want this to be a sport right. and we don't want ninja gyms to just become, you know, a more difficult trampoline park, hmm. you know, that is the work that does need to be done for sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about, you know, the, the Olympic aspirations for Ninja. One other thing I feel like is, is in their corner is obviously American Ninja Warriors on NBC. NBC mm -hmm. pays a lot of money to be the ones that show the Olympics. So I feel like if NBC is, is in the Ninja corner and throwing a lot of money at the Olympic committee, that's probably not a bad, mm -hmm. a bad place to be. Let's talk mm. about let's talk about kind of another uh, area of, of opportunity for uh, for the sport. And unfortunately, you can kind of copy and paste it on on most sports. And that's you know the the inequities of uh, of gender in uh, in ninja. Yeah, this is a topic that I am incredibly passionate about. Um, I've had a couple of episodes on my channel about it, and I think the difficult thing with this debate is that. Most girls who are involved in Ninja do like having the same course as the boys, right? They like challenging themselves. Like you don't do Ninja if you don't like a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, where the difficulty with that is, is when you get to the divisions, like the teens, young adults, adults, elite athletes are 15 plus athletes that really want a competitive challenge. You know, you don't see the female athletes making it to the same points on the course as the males do the kids divisions through like preteens, they're doing fine. Like they're, they're getting to the same point in the course. They're all making it to the back half of the course. The girls aren't hitting as many buzzers as the boys, but they are capable of hitting buzzers. Right. So those courses are appropriate if they're the same in those age divisions, but you get to the older age divisions after puberty has hit and the physiological differences really do start to um, just magnify the differences in skill level. And so when you talk about equity in a sport, you want a female athlete to be able to go to a competition and feel just as good at that competition and be able to accomplish just as much as she could have accomplished when she was a preteen, when she was a mature kid, right? You don't want to suddenly go from being able to clear the course to only being, to only getting five obstacles in. And then that's what decides the competition for the females is who did the first five obstacles the fastest, or in some cases, even three obstacles. And so, you know, this is one of kind of the growing pains of the sport. I think, you know, when Ninja first started, everyone did the same course. And that was a really unique thing about it that just brought everyone together. It just had this unity, you know, as a female athlete, I can give the guys a tip because I just did the exact same obstacles that they're doing. And I think that that's something that's just very wonderful about that sort of grassroots Ninja 
But if we want to be a sport that encourages female participation, that appeals to a wider audience than just the girls who really love a challenge, you know, and don't mind getting beaten down by the obstacles, like you need to have more variations and differences in the courses so that female athletes can succeed just as much as the male athletes can. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The only thing that I worry about that just kind of playing devil's advocate is, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to have two different courses because the world is the way that it is. And and I wish it wasn't, I would start worrying about whether you're going to still get the same kind of resources and put as much effort into both courses. I would hate where now the women's Mm -hmm. course is not near as, as well put together. It's not near as, as good as the other course. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I mean, just because if you look at the, our professional sports that we have now, I mean, there's a ton of issues with just making sure that everything is, is equal because it's not. Yeah. That's definitely one of the things that when we first kind of started this conversation about you know, the necessity for separate courses, um, or even just the idea of separate courses or, you know, course adjustments. A lot of female athletes did bring that up for like, Hey, like if, like, I don't, if I'm capable of doing like a 14 foot wall, I don't want to be given a 10 foot wall in competition just because I'm a girl. Um, and so one of my latest episodes on the commentator ninja channel was actually looking at some competitions where adjustments have been made right through the course. They, you don't even need to have a completely separate course. Mm. If you're a good course designer, the biggest thing is understanding the skill level of the athletes that you have, right? So take the team division, for example. Some, some courses, they can be the same for males and females. You just need a different time limit for the females, right? And some courses for elite athletes can be essentially the same course. You just change out a hold or you change out a dismount distance or you change the number of moves or the type of movement that's required. And those are the changes that are adequate enough to give the female athletes a shot at clearing the course. And I put a couple of just like really awesome, like real world examples, Ninja Sport Network. um, I used a lot of their stuff because they're kind of the main league that's pioneering this. And the result of these, these efforts that they're making of the differences in the courses or the differences in the obstacles is that the female competitions are so much more exciting to watch. Because it's not just a race to the fifth obstacle and you don't really get to see any of the like super exciting obstacles in the back half of the course. It is, you're going to the end, you're gassing out, like the females are getting just as much time on the course as the male athletes are. And so, you know, are all course designers going to be good at doing these changes first time they try? No. Are we going to have a ton of growing pains in the sport as we kind of try to like figure this out? Absolutely. Are you going to have course designers that just don't understand the athletes and, you know, completely miss? Yeah, it's going to happen. Um, but if people are trying, like that's, that's the important thing. And we are kind of starting to see, you know, separate courses or adjustments for females kind of trickle in. So it's, uh, it's not prevalent yet, but I'm hoping that it gets to a point where we can do it and do it well and, and really just provide female athletes the experience that, that they deserve because they work so hard. Yeah, no, I like I like that for sure. I I know that you you said that this is a, a topic that you're passionate about. I feel like that's in and out of the ninja world. So talk a little bit about I guess your work in uh, in this topic, even even beyond the the obstacle courses. Yeah. So what actually got this whole conversation started for me was um, an interview on the Ninja Babes podcast. Um, I was talking with my friend Kara. She she runs the Ninja Babes podcast or, or ran the Ninja Babes podcast. And I was just talking about some work that I was doing as part of my master's thesis 
um, for business school. Um, so Ninja is my part-time job. I'm actually a, uh, a production supervisor and I was getting my master's degree in uh, business leadership. And for your capstone, you have to select a, a topic, a leadership topic. Um, I ended up selecting gender bias and how it impacts female leaders in the workplace just due to an experience I'd had. Um, you know, we were at a hiring event, myself and some male counterparts. You know, we had the same position. I actually had more experience than some of these male counterparts. And we were all kind of looking at a resume and we were kind of debating, okay, who should, you know, get to interview this person? You know, we were all on third shift, which is notoriously hard to staff. And, you know, this candidate had a lot of third shift experience. And so I, you know, we all kind of stood there when they came back from their tour and nobody said anything, nobody made moves. So I grabbed her and I was like, okay, I guess I'll interview this candidate. And I, you know, walked off. And then I found out a couple of weeks later that one of the managers had seen that and they were like, that was really aggressive. And I was like, if my male counterpart had done the same thing, no one would have said anything, not at all. And so I really wanted to kind of dive into, you know, when male leaders do something and then female leaders do something like, why, why is there that, that dissonance? Like, why do people have a problem when a female does exactly what she should be doing in a leadership role? And she, why does she get in trouble for it? Like, why is she labeled as being aggressive? Why is she labeled as being like too harsh? Mm. So um, I really did a lot of research on that. And basically what it comes down to is subconscious bias and gender roles, right? So when you think, or gender stereotypes, right? So when you think about male pattern behavior, you think of somebody like strong, dominant. And when I say you think of, I just mean, this is, this is the general like image that's portrayed by the media that most people are taught. Um, I think it's changing, totally different topic, but you know, in general, people think of males as you know, strong, dominant, like they're assertive, they make decisions, like they're not like cold, but like, you know, they kind of like hide their emotions and stuff like that. And when they think of females, they think of people who are kind, women who are, you know, very helpful and, um, you know, just very loving and generous and just like there to make sure that you succeed and they're not like taking the spotlight or anything like that. And so leadership, as it's perceived in corporate America, is more closely aligned with male pattern behaviors, strong, dominant, assertive, et cetera. When a female takes on a male role, it creates this thing called role incongruity where you see someone doing something that doesn't match with how you expect them to behave. So when I'm in a leadership position as a woman, what people expect to see is me being kind and helpful and collaborative, not assertive, not taking charge, not a dominant figure. And so when a female does do these things in a leadership position, which are completely appropriate for the environment, there's still that role incongruity that happens in people's minds that causes them to have that negative reaction where they're like, oh, that's, that's negative behavior. So yeah, it's, it's a topic I'm really passionate about. And I think that one of the issues that, that faces women in America is that, you know, Sheryl Sandberg has been like a really strong voice for female leaders, but Sheryl Sandberg spends a lot of her time, um, you know, telling women they need to do more, that they need to be better, that they need to be more confident, that they need to essentially do more male pattern behaviors. And that's not the answer. Because the reality of it is there's so many barriers that we are coming up against, so many invisible barriers that we're just going to get really exhausted if we just keep trying harder, if we just keep trying to be more confident. And, and one statistic that I often refer to is that, you know, at a lot of female leadership conferences, people will say, oh, you know, men get go for positions when they're 60% qualified. 
And women only go for positions when they're hundred percent qualified. You need to be more confident, but the reality of it is statistically speaking, like it's been statistically proven, men are given positions based on their potential and females and minority groups are given positions when they have proven they can do it, when they are hundred percent qualified. So you can tell us to be more confident, but the reality of it is we aren't offered those positions that we're not totally qualified for. And so we're kind of trained to only go for those roles that we know we're going to get. So yeah, one of the things that I, I discuss a lot at my work is just when those invisible, invisible barriers come up. Uh, I'm going to just leave things exactly where you, what you said, because I don't think it could have been, it could have been put any better. And we could easily go into a, a whole second hour on this topic. So <laughs> yeah. we should we should leave it there because that is, I mean, that's perfectly said for sure. I've read a lot of studies on on this same thing and, and certain female leaders literally saying the exact same words, like in political mm-hmm. speeches as their male counterpart and the coverage mm-hmm. they got and the coverage that the male person got is totally different. One is, you know, being shrill and aggressive and... Mm-hmm dispassionate and the other one is being strong and fierce and patriotic. So it's always just a a crazy thing for me to see. But yeah, I I think that that, that's a huge topic. I'm glad that you're, you're looking at it and I'm glad that you're working for a company who, uh, you know, takes it seriously too. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of get into, uh, wrapping this, this, uh, thing up and I want you to tell us, uh, I, I mean, you mentioned the YouTube channel already, but I want to give you yeah. the opportunity to really shout that out. If people mm-hmm. want to go check it out, what they're going to find on that YouTube channel. And then if you can kind of tie in what made you want to start the YouTube channel altogether, I assume it's because of, you know, your, mm-hmm. your desire to, to talk more ninja stuff, but tell us more yeah. about the channel. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is the commentator ninja channel. If you check it out on YouTube, you'll see a little black and white insignia of a girl speaking into a microphone and then the commentator ninja underneath it. Um, so the reason I started the channel was, you know, just as you said, I love talking about ninja. Um, and I love talking about all things ninja. If you listen to my live streams, you know, I'm not just calling the action. I'm not just talking exactly. You know, I'm not just saying like, Oh, and he grabs a nunchuck and he swung to the dismount. Like that's, I do that sometimes, obviously, because it's exciting and you want people to be engaged in the competition. But, you know, I talk about like the techniques that the athletes are using and whether or not it was like a smart move, you know, how much, you know, how is their strategy on the course going to compare to other athletes' strategies? Why is this the superior strategy? What's showing up in the sport right now? What are things that are, you know, happening in the sport that are directly relating to what's on the course? But you don't always get the opportunity to like have those conversations in a live stream um, because you really do want the focus to be on the athlete. And so I wanted to create another medium for myself to have those discussions and also just do fun things. Like I love doing athlete predictions, like when competitions come up. um, I think what I'm going to do is have an episode about like, who do we think will be on Team USA? And, you know, I just want to get their ninja community involved. Like, hey, like, who do we think we're going to see go out for this? Who do we think has a shot to like have the fastest time on this course? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just having, having a place to just have those conversations and, you know, talk about obstacle technique. Like how do you do a special delivery? I I did a segment on that. So a special delivery is essentially like a mail slot and you have to somehow get your fingers in there and grab and hang on and swing from it. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty precise obstacle. Um, and I did a segment on that on my channel about just the way to do it. And I've actually gotten a lot of, a lot of ninjas that are like, dude, I don't mess this up anymore. And so like, that's, I'm like, yes, (laughs) like, that's what we want to do. Like, 
the things that, that help ninjas succeed, let's talk about it, whether that's obstacle technique or understanding the sport more. Um, so I just started the channel recently. If you tune in now, you're going to find, I'll be honest with you, pretty niche knowledge about like what's happening in the sport. But as you continue to tune in and watch, I'm going to start doing, you know, just some more general things that um, will help people gain familiarity with what, what is ninja. It's not martial arts. <laughs> I love it. And we will stay tuned. Tell us how we're going to find you on uh, any other social media platforms you want to shout out. Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's the commentator ninja, as you might expect. And my Instagram handle is also at the commentator ninja with underscores in between those two words. I got you. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Really, really appreciated you, you joining me. All right. Thank you so much, Jackson. So that was Mary Layton, the commentator ninja. Fascinating, fascinating conversation. Really appreciated her time. Learned so much about ninja and just the sport as a whole. I, I had no idea. Of course, I've watched the NBC show, American Ninja Warrior, occasionally. Not a you know a weekly fan, but definitely like to catch it on occasion and but just to hear what's going on beyond that beyond the show the leagues and the youth competition and and the maybe possible olympics and partnerships and i think there's a bright future and i'm really really happy that uh, ninja has mary layton to uh help accelerate that i do think that she's doing big things in the sport i think that she's making a difference not just in the sport of ninja but in the but in the sports world as a whole just the the work that she's doing in making sure there's a level playing field for everyone who is involved in ninja whether it's you know the the young kids whether it's adult female athletes it just makes it a better sport for those who's competing those who are watching it and those who are involved so i think she's doing big things and i i know that uh, it's a, a powerful powerful conversation um, that she's having on her channel and then also that she brought to us so really appreciate that you know as a whole we talked about women in the workplace such a such a you know fascinating powerful conversation obviously learned a lot there too uh, I, I do think that we can all learn quite a bit from that so i appreciate mary's time uh, go check her out whether you're a big ninja fan already or whether she's going to make you one just the passion she has behind the sport i think uh, she's going places and i think that uh, once ninja becomes a, a huge thing that we're going to see a lot more from mary so go check her out on youtube with the commentator ninja channel on instagram all that stuff it'll be in the show notes of course our contest is still going on 100 episode was a few weeks ago for that i'm giving away a hundred dollars everyone can use a hundred bucks hundred bucks is a hundred bucks whether it's the actual gift card whether it's a gas card something we'll give that to you all you got to do is go on apple or on spotify subscribe follow the podcast leave a five star uh, ranking and then uh, also write a review if you are on apple follow us on instagram so three things give the five stars write a review if you can follow i guess there's a fourth thing because you're going to follow or subscribe on apple and on spotify and then also follow on instagram take some screenshots of that show me that you're engaged send them over on a dm or on an email you'll be entered to win that hundred bucks quite a few people have already entered appreciate that episode 104 is when that'll end so make sure you do that make sure that uh, i can get you part of that but i'll see you next week take it away chris 
This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.